0: I'm Dr. Alan Trites and today's podcast is Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible and we're going to start um, three podcasts that will have to do with the treatment of long haul syndrome, long hauler syndrome, long COVID, chronic fatigue, those kind of things. So um, there's going to be three sections that come along with this. So today I'm just going to talk about the medical approach and what medicine uses and what they've been touting and publishing and educating. And all I am is, pa- is passing the information along. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't have a no license to diagnose, uh, or sorry, to provide medicine, but I just want to tell you what the options are because, uh, as, as people come in and maybe they don't respond to something natural, maybe they don't have, maybe they're taking zinc and vitamin C and, and their case is really too far gone and they have mass cell reactivity. Uh, there has to be some understanding that, um, uh, that okay. First of all, I wrote a book that was called "How to Talk to Your Doctor," um, because not all doctors know about these things, or they are convinced that the vaccine was completely safe, or that COVID was completely safe in their mind. But the research that's out there that is plentiful—it's not just like one person saying, "Hey, this thing wasn't right." It's plentiful, and the information that I've already provided in the last nine podcasts is. Pretty significant. So if you have these conditions and you're not being tested for them, hey, these are some questions to at least start. So in the, the like frontline medicine, uh, as, as these doctors have, uh, you know, certain things that come in, they, they talk about ivermectin. So that we have to talk about that today. And it's, in, it's a repurposed drug. I mean, initially a, a, a dewormer for horses, and then it got into other animals as it went there, and in, in, in the repurposed world, a drug that does something that they didn't have it do for is uh, it, it costs the industry money. It's a pharmaceutical financial issue. Now, one of the things that actually did make it money, if you ever heard of a repurposed drug that was initially for blood pressure medication and has been repurposed for erectile dysfunction, you might have heard of it, Viagra, Cialis. Those are blood pressure medications, and now they're using them because of blood supply. Sometimes there's blood supply issues in um, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. So Viagra is really a a, a no luck. Uh, Didn't make a lot of money, didn't have a lot of clinical benefit in the blood pressure world, but it had these side effects. And and, and when you have erectile dysfunction, you have a side effect, obviously, that can be corrected um, temporarily by using Viagra. But a lot of people who who need Viagra also have cardiovascular issues and in in addition to that they get other parts of like let's say vascular dementia and other things that are going along so they get benefit to cognitive function so they use it off label to do that well ivermectin is one of those things And, and i bring this up because there are 93 clinical trials with ivermectin uh, many are positive, but you don't get to publish any of those in a big journal, New England Journal of Medicine, British Medical Journal, Lancet, uh, Science, those those are out there because um, when it comes to an, uh, a research review board, uh, IRB, um, uh, too many of these individuals that sit on these boards are paid through major pharmacy. They sit on there because their foot is in the door, one or the other. I mean, it kind of looks like Congress. If you look at Congress, a lot of the, um, the aides, the congressional aides, are or were um, managers or high-end uh, earners, in the pharmaceutical industry. So there's, they're lending an ear to both sides. They have a foot in both sides. So 93 clinical trials is pretty significant. I mean, one is a good start, 93. And the thing is, with these 93 clinical trials, they all show some sort of benefit. It may not be 100%, but it's some sort of benefit. And when you have to get it to a benefit, you have to be above 50% of what the placebo does. So the, the problem with, like, uh pharmaceuticals such as anti-anxieties anti-depression and granted there are certain people that it makes a world of difference in but let's take a thousand people and put it into a study and you have to have well this one person got really really good but what's the average person versus a um the standard was well, um anti-anxiety uh, anti-depression it's like 50.2 percent so at a thousand people like one person actually got better and Let's say one person got worse, but the average was not a whole lot different than a placebo. So to show benefit on 90 clinical trials um, that went through there that had more than even 50%, I mean, that's that's better than the antidepressant, anti-anxieties, which side effect is anxiety and depression. And so why aren't they looking at this to go through there? And so many doctors, whether it's the frontline doctors or FCCCA or um, the, the frontline doctors that are ICU doctors, um, and and the, the term that they use for themselves is actually called a recovering physician, because they, you know, most of them were, hey, I'm, I'm seeing all these cases of COVID come in, and I don't know what to do, or when we did this, or when we did um, this therapy, uh, patient um, died, and so what do I? What else can I do? You know, first do no harm, and so these are things that are doing harm, and, and they're they're going about and doing it a different way. So a lot of the long haulers from what was researched and FLCCC is, is a, a group of doctors and they have like a COVID long hauler medical uh, protocol and they have 43 uh, repurpose interventions that work um, in antiviral to improve the outcomes in COVID. Um, so what they have found with this is that long haulers generally did not get early treatment or um, they kept getting it so they didn't get treatment. And, and the, the other part to that is there's that's just... COVID like you actually got sick, but then there's also vaccine injured. And the guesstimation is that 70 to 80% of the people who have long hauler were COVID or sorry, the the vaccine related that came to it. So it it really doesn't matter how it it came about. If you have it, you have it. And it needs to to take a look at. So suggesting therapies that had good mechanisms that had good research, is a good start in the long haul syndrome, and understand that, that the list is exhaustive, um, and you're not gonna put somebody on 40 different compounds that have been shown to benefit long hauler syndrome. So you have to kind of get an idea of really what you have, uh, what's going on with it, uh, and then start to use some other things. So some doctors use anti-tumor, some people doctors use antiviral, some people use anti-parasitic, um, some people use antimicrobial or antibacterial, and then there's other, other things because e- even like, some people get on a uh, an antibacterial, um, an antibiotic, and that antibiotic. I mean, they had pain and swelling and fever and everything that goes with it, and then that they, they feel better with it. Well, what is the the, the true mechanism an antibiotic? It has some anti-inflammatory properties that go along with it, and an antibiotic can actually bind spike protein tighter than uh, most of the other medicines. So it it may not be the antimicrobial side of it. It may be the anti-inflammatory side of it. And that's where you're looking into other therapies like low-dose naltrexone. Naltrexone in high um, doses was meant to help people with recovering. Like let's say they're on um, methamphetamine or uh, we can go uh, other cocaine or something like that. They were on some sort of drug and they're trying to get them down in very high doses that that they're trying to to do something that's not... um, methadone or the side effects or other things that come along with it. So in the world of rheumatology, they started using low-dose naltrexone, one, two, four um, milligrams as it came along, and they would find that somehow this pings the immune system in a little different way than somebody coming off a drug, and that immune system would then start to clean itself up and not attack itself in a certain way. So using low-dose naltrexone for long hauler syndrome is one of those things that's out there. Now, that's not something you go get over the counter. You have to go to a doctor, they have to prescribe it, and then you have to titrate you up to it. That's the the, the current standard. And there's a wonderful research that's out there. There's even a whole, like, um, I wouldn't call it a genre, but there's a um, group that facilitates and puts published research that goes with zone, and the side effects are, are really, really low. Um, concerning, like, let's say somebody's taking um, aspirin every day or somebody's taking Tylenol every day, This this has a different... Pathophysiology: How it breaks down in the body, how it breaks things down. Um, but under, not everybody responds to low dose naltrexone, But a lot of vaccine injured people have neuropathy or neuropathic symptoms. You might have burning. You have tingling. Um, you might have heard of COVID toes, um, and, and some of the movements that come along. If you if you get on online and you watch people that look like they have Huntington's chorea, or they have these massive tremors, or their their body's not walking. Or they have slap gait that looks like cerebellar ataxia. Uh, Low-dose naltruxone, in some of these cases, has been very helpful to help the motor movements and the the twitching that goes along with it. Um, Again, I don't prescribe this. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Clinically, and what I read, it's usually about 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. Uh, That's a standard dose to get to a low dose. Um, So again, usually they come in one, two, and four. uh, And they try to titrate you up to that uh, as it gets there. So I'm just providing the information that comes along with it. So in the um, so those who have mast cell or um, activation MCAS, um, it's mast cell activation syndrome that we talked about in detail. A lot of these people get anti-inflammatories um, um, that are known as antihistamines. So loratadine, you might have known of that, known as a uh, Claritin. Um, but not everybody responds to Claritin. Some people have to go get um, whether it's Benadryl or, or um, Allegra or Zyrtec or. Zizol or something like that, because they're trying to break down um, what's promoting histamine. And then uh, naturally, people take a DAO enzyme. Dow enzyme is what makes histamine. Can you get in there and can you block it down? Um, and then there also is, when you have a mast cell reaction, and you're starting to react to everything in your environment, especially things that you eat, they start giving uh, things like pepcid that are known histamine blockers in the stomach. Now, these are antacids. They're really supposed to decrease your acid ability for, you know, like Pepsid AC and Tagamet and we were all given for people that had indigestion or reflux. And so as they're getting these between or before meals, uh, they're trying to see, does this slow the trigger down? Does this, this help with long haul? Because if long hauler syndrome is consistently activated by MCAS or mast cell activation syndrome, it just keeps going and going and going. And so they're trying to do things medically that can help break that down and slow the response. So my job is just to, to tell people what's going on. And then um, other doctors are using, and while they were fairly reluctant at first, but now they're bringing up that people are starting to have microvascular clotting. So they're doing uh, a month of aspirin. They're doing uh, Eliquis, Um these are, natu- these are types of anti-inflammatories, but seratopeptase, uh, natokinase, are natural forms of it that I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more later. But the, sometimes it, you can use, uh, depending on the doctor, maybe they want to use both of them. But um, I have to, to give the, the research that came on aspirin. You know, aspirin helps the platelets be less sticky, so therefore it shouldn't create more microclots. Now, the idea with giving low-dose or baby aspirin in the um uh, before covid was to try to prevent any heart attack but the fda came after 25 years of study we don't seem to find any benefit of taking the baby aspirin before a cardiovascular event. so in other words if you're trying to prevent a heart attack there was a, wasn't any good research to show that that was happening um but once you had a heart attack there was some pretty good research that showed it helped to prevent that from happening again from a clotting mechanism including stroke um or pulmonary embolism so the research on this is, is showing that they're just using it for a month. They're not using it for the rest of your life. They're using it for a month um, to get there. So that's kind of a, a frontline approach. <clears throat> the But we're, as I'm backing back and forth here, these conditions are chronic in nature. They're, they're chronic fatigue. So you might still have crashes and other things that come along and they have to start thinking, okay, what else am I gonna do, be done? And, and the crashes may be physical, they could also be mental, they can be emotional, because these things add up and, burn and they burden They burden. your body, they overload your body, and you don't have enough energy to overcome some of these things that overwhelm, such as this mast cell activation syndrome, I and mean, it really takes a lot of energy for your body to create all these mast cells and then what's going on. So a lot of the, um, you know, the complaints is the fatigue, the brain fog and everything that's going along with it. Um, and and that's that's understandable so clinically you have to figure out what your baseline is so if let's say you used to run 10 miles a day and now you've had covid and you can like literally walk around the block that's your new baseline it's not 10 miles you got to let go of that so where are you at so when we have uh, even anybody that comes into our office what can you do um and then we have to do a a spirometer and we're taking a look and see what is their um, maximum uh, exertion volume (sighs) How much did they get out? Um, is that a diaphragm issue? Is that a cervical issue? Is it a lung integrity issue? Do they have a leaking lung? What are we looking at here? And then, okay, what can you do? And then, um, you know, they they try to go walk around the block and then I have to know, we have to know, doctors have to know, what happened after that? Could you recover? Could you um, could you do it again the next day? Or did you have to wait a week to get back? These are things that have to be understood um, when somebody's going through these things. And even medically, and I'll get, still bring this up in the natural side of things, even medically, they, they talk about giving vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, iron. Um, I, do, I don't 100% agree with iron. There are certain conditions that you do to give iron, but iron can be uh, it can create a fentanyl reaction create more inflammation. And there's what's called iron patterns of chronic disease. So you have to look at what's called TIBCE. Um, or ferritin, uh, iron, iron saturation. Um, and the TIBC is total iron binding saturation or capacity. And there's a pattern that even tells you that it's a chronic disease. So adding, adding iron to a chronic disease individual, even though they show low on iron and that they they maybe show low, what's called the size of the red blood cell so MCV, and maybe the ferritin's is a little low, you're actually going to make their condition work. So worse. So I, I just want to throw that out there. So just plugging in a supplement, nutrition, medication as they go along is maybe not the best thing to do. So you you really need to be working with somebody and you need to make sure that you don't have any sort of um, microvascular um, issues that come along or is there any type of enzymes that can help break those in if you do. Um, What if you're having a a, a big response? So, you know, niacin helps. Um, CoQ10 can help. Uh, with, with these things because long syndrome affects the mitochondria. And we'll be talking about that in, in detail. Um, so how do we help the mitochondria? Well, niacin has a, it's not just cholesterol, but it's helping the body be more effective making energy. Um, it's, it's really in the nicotinic acid pathway, but it helps make energy, but so can CoQ10. But what is the CoQ10 dose? i have found no significant data to help anybody that you're at 100, possibly even 200. You, you've got to take a massive amount of CoQ10 to get some there. And ideally, we get into like with the PQQ form of it because it, it breaks down in a different way. The idea is with any of this, doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The idea is that you make energy. That's the fundamental basis for all of this. So again, this is just a, a thing that's out there. So some people, some doctors provide blood thinners. They provide anticoagulants um, to get there. Again, want to make sure that you're making energy. And then there's there's a test that comes along. It's called a D-dimer test to see if you are making clots um, or, or is this going through there. So low-to-est-notrexone, um, clinically, what is out there is about ten percent of patients are doing very well with it, and what it does is it has a positive impact on a hyperactive immune system. It calms it down. So if you're attacking everything, I mean, like my lungs are hurting, my heart is hurting, my muscles are hurting, my brain is hurting, um, you kind of need something that can help uh, in a bigger, bigger aspect. But what if you just have have trouble breathing? Well, then there's you know there's breathing treatments and other things in the medical world that they use to do that, and we'll, we can we can talk about the natural side of what what. Um, we can get there. And one of the other things that that goes out there is uh, that the doctors are using is is scalp medication. Um, It it seems to be beneficial to certain individuals. Um, It somehow, especially if there's a large white blood cell count and there's a high amount of neutrophils, scalp medication seems to be beneficial to that. diarrhea being a, um, a side effect, but it seems to be beneficial because again, as a certain white blood cell, cell comes up, especially neutrophils, it' telling you that it's inflammatory. So this is kind of I mean, I'm extrapolating here, but this is where anti-inflammatory comes in and this is a anti to the body, it works as anti-inflammatory. And then you might have heard of a still a ganglion block. It, it was used to treat chronic pain, um, to treat a very acute pain that's hanging out there and then they inject and they use an ultrasound to guide it in, um, in and around the nerve. So the idea with still a ganglion block, if somebody's having these chronic neuropathies and pain syndromes that come along with this, so you might've heard of like Yelling Beret or um, they're having a viral respond to the nervous system, um, it seems to reset the autonomic nervous system there so you're not, com- in a fight or flight and you're not complaining completely, completely attacking yourself but it is invasive um, so again this is why naturally we don't do this but uh, medically sometimes that's that's an, an option uh, if you've ever heard of apheresis um plus so plasmapheresis uh, what they do is they take a needle and put it in your arm the blood goes out one it gets more or less cleaned up and filtered and put back in you might have heard of um dialysis before it's kind of similar to that um uh, they're doing that um, but some people need that some people needed to apheresis that goes through and they have an ultraviolet light that the blood goes through because maybe there's a pathogen that's hanging out uh, maybe you've re-triggered lyme or epstein-barr or cytomegalovirus or a bacterium that's in there and you're re um uh, doing this so some of these when that's happening, they might even use ozone therapy that comes along with it uh, or uh, IV therapy that comes along with, with, with nutrients. Now, keep in mind that IV therapy, when you're giving like mega doses of glutathione and vitamin C and maybe vitamin E or something like that, it helps boost your immune system. It, it doesn't cure or solve anything, but it can help people get over something. Um, so, for instance, I break my leg, but it's cast. I I now have crutches. Did the crutches cure my bone? No, but they helped me to continue to be ambulatory and go to work and do things. That's what IV therapy supplements do. Uh, Another thing that's both medically and natural is hyperbaric oxygen chambers. Now, some people really have a terrible, terrible response to it. and, and what a uh, hyperbaric oxygen chamber does is a pressurized chamber that allows you to breathe through a mass that's oxygen. So it's supposed to push the oxygen deeper into tissues. So, oxygen, or you know, um, tissues that have been cut off, they, they hurt. And if your oxygen is getting to the tissues, they won't heal. Uh, so, that's the idea of a, a hyperbaric chamber. But some people do not respond well to it. Um, and then there's such a thing called cryotherapy, getting into cold. and and Ideally, you want to get up to 10 minutes that you can do that, but the body gets very, very cold again, and it stimulates an increase of blood flow. So we're trying to get the autonomic nervous system, the body's to respond naturally to its own thing. That's that's what <clears throat> cryotherapy is to do, is to reboot the autonomic nervous system. So if you have a choice to use, like, stellar ganglion injections, or let's try putting you in cold water first, what are you going to do? That's up to you. Uh, some people want the injection first, but... Um, that's okay that's your choice so uh, some medical doctors are actually ordering acupuncture acupuncture lymphatic massages and uh, other things like cold water swimming and vagal nerve stimulation infrared sauna light therapy um, to get them into a relaxed state in conjunction to the the medicine that they're using Uh, again these are the other options but i'll talk about that more in detail uh, as we get to um, later sections Big picture on this is you have inflammation that needs to be uh, dealt with. And that's, you know, from a medical standpoint, and again, not a medical doctor. They're just trying to do the best that they can to stop the body from reacting to what it's reacting to. Medically for chronic fatigue or amplifying the the signal that goes along with it. So they're looking at it as... Uh, some doctors are looking at it as an autoimmune condition. So keep in mind that like 35% of the United States population has a celiac disease. Uh Oh, and gluten intolerance is just part of it. But only 3% actually ever have the disease or very few people actually have I um gluten and then I have like these bloody stools and everything that goes with it and destruction of my um, my immune system. So something has to happen to trip the more or less the gene for celiac to create an autoimmune disease known as celiac disease. And so understanding this, just, just celiac in general, and knowing that the average person is between 40 and 60 before they actually have enough changes that have happened that come off. Um, so you're, you're getting into a condition with chronicity. So we're talking about the like chronic fatigue syndrome, regional pain syndromes, Lyme disease, um, chronic Epstein-Barr. It's myelose, myelose, myelose encephalitis, chronic um, fatigue syndrome. And so long-haul syndrome is, is, is going right into this. And we're also seeing more PANS and PANDAS in children. Uh, we're seeing more RSV in children because there are these proteins that come along and they're affecting it. So people that come in with regional pain syndrome and fibromyalgia, they're getting re-triggered as they come along. And when you have long history of whether it doesn't matter, chronic depression, chronic anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, or bipolar disorder, they're inflammation to the brain. And when we know that this chronic long hauler syndrome and chronic diseases and chronic fatigues, across the board, you have a brain that's inflamed. So we have to deal something about the brain being inflamed. So understand that if you've ever had a runny nose or itchy eyes, um, I mean, as a kid, I was diagnosed with this massive hay fever, but it was only seasonal. It's inflammation. So, what would you give? An antihistamine. Eyes are swollen, nases your, your passages are swollen, and you have an inflammation. For me, it was grass. Um, and so, as I stayed away from grass, I was fine. Um, and then I started a mowing business, <laughs> so that was not a good thing. So, uh, the allergies started to come back. So, um, you have two different parts of your immune system. One is your innate. It just runs the immune system and whatever comes in it does it by itself and then there's um uh, the the what's called first responders they get out there so for instance this is where it becomes a problem all these chronic cases and anybody that has these particular individual problems and let's say they were living in a moldy world and then they go hit their head now you have a, a concussion well these like heavy metals and mycotoxins weren't ever around the brain cells, they weren't, or the body, the innately body was dealing with it. And they didn't have any symptoms of heavy metals or mycotoxins, and now they do. It's because everything got open up. And so, if you were like last year, we had to redo our kitchen, and when we redid our kitchen, our house was pretty clean, and all of a sudden, there it is tearing into everything. Uh, the good thing there was no mold, but there was this um, sheetrock dust, and um. What is it? Primer spray that like we had to. I was changing my filters in the house like every three days because this dust was getting everywhere. And as the dust came in, everybody started coughing and, and having other issues. And they did their best they can. They tried to seal it off. They covered it up. No, that it gets everywhere. So I'm, I'm using this as an example because this having exposure, whether it's dust and we'll call it COVID, it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And if you have all these other things that are happening, now we've got this massive other things that are that are happening in the brain is now becoming overreactive. When you have an overactive brain, I mean, this is really PTSD. Post-traumatic stress syndrome, but a post-traumatic stress, you could have traumatic stress due to infection, due to anxiety, due to depression, due to chronic fatigue syndrome, due to fibromyalgia, due to, you get my point. It's, it's ubiquitous and it's out there. So this exposure creates damaged cells. And then when the damaged cells are there, we have a, a problem. And then when you have a problem, you start to send other chemicals, which is called ROS or reactive oxygen species, and they start to destroy cells. And when they start to destroy cells, the cells that are inside the stuff that's inside of the cell that should never be exposed to it, then gets exposed to the immune system because it's being reactive and that reactivity starts to attack other things, including you. That's how you get autoimmunity. So this is how COVID is creating autoimmunity as, it, as it's coming along. So now we have to look at other things. So some people have um, viral infections or liver diseases, uh, or they hit their head and they get microglia that start to respond that we've talked about. And so they, they have this brain on fire that comes along with it. And so a lot of brain fog and brain degeneration that's coming from COVID were from other issues, but COVID just happened happened to open it up. So understanding that once you've had COVID, you have a 25% chance more of becoming autoimmune. You have a um, 25% chance of developing cardiovascular disease later in life. Um, Not good. So what can we do to, to, and then this, see the research is so limited on it. Is it the person that says, yeah, I had COVID, screw it. I'm I'm not doing anything else to change my life. What about the people who are like, okay, I know I've had it and I'm having some symptoms and I'm going to go do everything I, I have. What is the, the repurposing of that to to go through there? Don't know yet. Uh, it's just 25% of the general population whether you did something or not. So hopefully we're doing the right stuff to get in front of it. And hopefully you're not living in an environment that keeps exposing you to toxins or molds or other things that are going along um, a, a, as, a, as we go through life. So <clears throat> as they've done... Um, autopsies, are, they're, they're finding different tissues that, you know, different proteins that go in the brain. And, and different proteins that go in the brain can create um, Lewy body dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Those are, they all have these proteins that come along the brain. And so the idea is to get ahead and get the inflammation that comes down. So when you have autoimmune to the brain, you have what's called autoimmune encephalopathy. And uh, generally that's infectious in, in nature. So um, you might have heard of mad cow disease. Well, BSE is the um term for bovine spongiform encephalopathy they had something a protein called a prion that gets into the brain and starts to create an immune reaction and then it starts to affect the nervous system And if you ever watch these cows with mad cow disease they don't look right but a lot of people are getting acquired immunity their body is starting to attack it's being tripped off it's going to the brain is causing encephalopathy so these chronic fatigue syndrome is called myeloid encephalopathy that's coming along to it so we have to be very very careful so in other words if you start to have these persistent infections or these persistent inflammations and and it also goes to the heart muscle. So looking at these things and looking for spike protein, when somebody has cardiomyopathy or starting to have uh, congestive heart failure, heart failure in, in any detail, especially post COVID the last three years, we have to be looking at these other things, these spike proteins that come through the body and so in that process, you have to have blood tests. You have to have a complete blood count. You have to check, have your liver checked. You have to have your kidney checked. You have to have your thyroid checked. You have to have autoimmune and anti-nuclear antigens looked at and to see if you have any inflammation such as an essential, uh, eosinophil sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein. But the idea we want is a high sensitive C-reactive protein. But there's another cytokine panel that was developed by Dr. Bruce Patterson, which is the cytokine panel that goes along with COVID because it can go to anywhere. But I want you to know that even with that, with the long hauler syndrome, those doctors did recommend acupuncture as something to help bring the immune system down and help the body calm down so that it can respond appropriately. And um, anyway, <clears throat> if there is microglial activation and the brain fog and everything that goes with it, this is how this is a, a reason why doctors have been using low-dose naltrexone, because it targets the microglial of the immune cell that's already attacking itself. Um, and we need to help that already attacking itself stop doing that. So that's encephalopathy. But some people use, they can get away with low-dose melatonin, like 1, 2, or 3 milligrams, not like 10 or 20. A lot of people take that. Um, so... Uh, Using that to um, be beneficial is good. Um, other, other ways is glutathione. So liposomal glutathione, oral glutathione that gets past the stomach and gets delivered into the uh, digestive tract. And then some people have a real big reaction to glutathione. What do you have trouble breathing? I'm, I'm not going to give an asthmatic glutathione. So we have to go further up in line. We might use N-acetylcysteine. And if they have a reaction to N-acetylcysteine, we have to go further up in line and use hydrolyzed uh, whey protein because that can turn into knack and that can turn is it as efficient as just straight up giving glutathione heck no but you you've got to get to something and you've got to help the the brain sleep so some people have sleep aids that they take um as they go along or they have to also be checked because there's a cardiovascular response so you have to be checked for sleep apnea and most of the people who have sleep apnea haven't been diagnosed so if you you take sleeping pills um you really need to be, and you haven't been evaluated for sleep apnea, you should, because making sure that the oxygen is going to the brain is, is imperative to this, because if it's not, your sleep apnea is never going to be managed, and your brain is actually getting the hit as well as your heart. So keep that in mind if you are one of those the, those people. One of the other things we have to look at is even, even biofilms um, that come along. and, and So with a spike protein, it essentially goes into a cell, like just like when you have a concussion, you get a, what's called an M1, M2 reaction, that the cell becomes M2, it'll never turn around. So when a spike protein hits a cell, it turns into a zombie spell. And all of a sudden, you know, zombies are like walking dead. They, they, they're they dead and they're still alive. They don't, they don't, they should, the cell should, let's say, five, live for five days and here we are six months later and it's still alive. Um, so that has to be evaluated. This is why taking a look at spike proteins are, are important. Even in the treatment of Lyme and other inflammatory disease, we have these particular cytokine patterns that can come up and they hang out there. And so um, there's such a thing even called like post-Lyme syndrome. They think they got rid of all the Lyme. There's a, there's a whole topic that can go along with Lyme, but uh, that I can go on, but it's it's not you maybe you can't detect it anymore that the person still has Lyme but they still are making inflammatory responses. So that's where um, my encephalitis comes along. It starts; it, It's still triggering the, the body, the Epstein-Barr, the the toxoplasmosis, the influenza now you have, because we've had people get a concussion, everything was fine, and then they got the flu, or a cold, and everything comes back. That's not good. Um, that's, that's further on down the line uh, for those individuals. But what about if you have clots? So um, microvascular clotting, what's called hypercoagulability post COVID or during COVID is, is something to consider. So um, in, those, in those particular uh, pathways, a lot of the doctors are using the antihistamines. Um, so again, the, the Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, Zyzel, um, and they're using um, H blockers in the, the gut, whether it's um, the antacid like Pepsid, AC, trying to, to do that with uh, these individuals. Now, what's been researched, there's 65 different supplements that um, have been sub, have been utilized or researched for hypercoagulability. Uh, one of the bigger ones that the research for quercetin, but you might for a skull cap, um, Butter bar, DAO enzymes that help break down histamine. Uh, there is even some research that, that CBD can be, beneficial. I'm just not sure which one. Um, and and maybe they use them, and, and a lot of doctors are using them in conjunction with low dose nutrexone. Um, and, and some people use herbal responses. Now I wanna be put a caveat out here. Very cautious with herbal interactions with medications. Have to be very cautious. So if if and here's the the problem. Most people don't have one doctor. Maybe they go to a medical doctor. Maybe they go to a nutritionist or a functional medicine doctor or whatnot or a chiropractor, whoever is doing nutrition, and nobody freaking talks. So if this doctor is giving you this medication and then this doctor is giving you an herbal aid for that, that herbal aid might actually offset and eliminate the ability for that medication to work, i.e., um, taking an antibiotic and birth control at the same time they interact. Um but you can do the same with, with supplements that have herbals. And vice versa, this herb that you have over here might enhance the effectiveness of the medication you're taking, and therefore you're now in a toxic response. Not good. So we have to be careful when we're using herbals. That's just my, my two cents that goes out there, and so we have to read uh, the labels of, of things that go through. And, and then you have to also understand what's called POTS syndrome, or orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that comes along um, with POTS. So normal blood pressure, normal heart rate might be 60 beats per minute, but then you stand up and it goes to 90 uh, within the first few minutes. And then a lot of people, they get, start to get dizzy. Um, and, and so the, the term that goes along with POTS is so called dysautonomia, and the autonomic nervous system no longer is regulated. It also means your immune system is no longer regulated. Um, so if you were lying down, your blood pressure um, is going to be lower than when you're standing. But when you stand up, in POTS syndrome, the blood pressure drops. So it's not catching up to them. They get lightheaded. They get nauseous. They get sick to their stomach. Again, that's dysautonomia. This, this and with mast cell individuals, they get a lot of dysautonomia. And so they're dizzy a lot. And so we have to turn off the mast cell response. That's why, um, as, as these doctors that understand this the situation, what, whether it's dysautonomia, POTS, in conjunction with mast cell, they're using anti. Um, antacids, and they're using anti-um histamines to help break these things out. Now, the other thing that, that happens is there's something called molecular memory between the virus and the nerve cell. So the body starts to attack the virus, but it looks sort of like the nerve cell. It starts to attack the nerve cell too. Again, screws up the um, autonomic nervous system. So these pot individuals really need to eat a lot of salt to keep their blood volume up. And they have to make sure that it gets filtered through their kidneys, so um, uh, keeping that the blood volume's up. So some doctors use beta blockers, but a lot of people feel awesome or awful on them, and they get very fatigued. But it does help. Uh, you can do vasal, vagal, vagal stimulation. Um, so there's a, a guy out there called Joe Dispenza that has that. We do um, vagal stimulation through particular exercises that are in the office. Whether you're gargling or gagging, you can do coffee as you can sing, you can put a, we have an electrode that we put on the ear that goes to the vagus nerve that stimulates vagal-vagal. Uh, That's where acupuncture, auriculotherapy can come in as well as stimulate that. And then a lot of people don't want to eat anything because everything they eat makes them feel like crap and they can't digest anyway because they have dysonomia. So their immune system and their their digestive system are working well. And then they have, they can't really exercise or because they have exercise intolerance. They're tolerant intolerant to things that, that They do, and so their heart rate comes up, and their heart's about to pop out of their chest, and and they can't handle it. So this is where it's important, if you're working with a doctor, even in the medical world, that it's impossible to check vasovagal responses, dysautonomia, inflammation, mast cell reactive in in 10 minutes. 15 minutes. It's at minimum to go through that, and we are really efficient in our office, or our, our office staff is going through it. At minimum, 30 minutes. At minimum. So you have to be able to find a practitioner that can at least go through it. It's not that a lot of doctors don't know how to, to run a test. It's that they don't have time in their schedule to run a test. And when you have this, you need um, uh, the most that you can can possibly have. So in the uh, hypercoagulability, um, microvascular issues, you get these little antibody clots that come along. And COVID, particularly the spike protein, goes into the endothelium and they trigger this this clot to happen. And then you get a mast cell response and you get this... Um, histamine effect and it's a platelet ag- aggregator. So then you start to get the the stickiness that comes along. So again, medically, this is where it comes in. And sometimes again, doctors add other things such as lumbar kinase ster- steratokinase natokinase, depending on how sticky they are. And what if somebody has a reaction or they have already gastrointestinal yes, bleeds adding the baby aspirin may not help them, but other people might. Um so again, aspirin is a um coagulant cascade platelet inhibitor uh, and it, it helps the stickiness but that's in the arteries it's not so much in the vein so have to take a peek at or understand where the, the patient has an issue and what's going on with them so there's another thing when somebody has energy issues um one of the, the huge components, stress toxins and chronic infections, that, that get there. So there's another treatment that comes along. <clears throat> excuse me, that they're using that's called peptide therapy. And um, peptide therapy was first used in chronic um, fatigue syndrome, chronic Lyme, and, and they're looking at the people that have multi chronic fatigue and multi um, issues, fibromyalgia, the mast cell activation that we're talking about, uh, because you get antibodies that come along and so with a lot of these people they have very low natural killer cells they can't seem to fight off infections um, they don't only have that they have long uh, inability to, to clean things up so they can't clean their body up so they become toxic even the stuff that that was actually in their body and so because of that they can also get active coagulation pathways that come along and these, these are people that had strokes in their 20s and 30s or even 40s because they were too long, too young of these things that are happening um, but not all of us have it. So there's a higher risk, that's why I'm only throwing that out there, there's a higher risk of things that come along. And so we have to understand what the metabolism of that individual is. And and most doctors just look at T S H as thyroid stimulating hormone, and it's it's not enough. We have to look at what the, the rest of the, the thyroid book or the thyroid panel is doing. Okay. and. Uh, There's so many things that the thyroid is, and that's why I have podcasts specifically about the thyroid. So when we're trying to fix the immune system first, we we have to get rid of toxins too because the immune system cannot be trying to clean itself up, but it's also dealing with this toxin because it affects the immune system. It takes energy. The immune system has to deal with detoxification and instead of doing what's going on. So peptid protocol is one of those rapid things that helps the body get rid of toxins and affect the immune system to... Work more efficiently, and what it is like, just like vitamin D, but more effective is an immune modulator, meaning that it makes everything work quicker. Um, so it can kill infections faster, it can detoxify faster. What they typically use is like um, thymosin alpha one. Um, it's a peptide that's been around for um, for about 20 years, and they're using them in, in um, 45 um, different countries. And thymocin beta-4 has 43 amino acids, but it does quite a few things. So when they first started using this, they were trying to use these as peptides to go and block cancer cells. So this is how the, the first therapy started to, to come in. Um, and then they started using the other things such as a, a, an enzyme therapy known as uh, KPV. And they started using this as a thing to be anti-inflammatory, to, to stop mass cells. Um, and you, when when people have chronic inflammation, um, so there's idiopathic um, pulmonary fibrosis, you get fibrosis that goes in there. Anytime you get fibrosis, you get hardening. It could be the lungs, it could be the kidney, it could be the heart, it could be the vascular system. And so they started using these enzymes to start to, to break up. Um, this. So you might have heard of BBC 157, uh, cerebrolysin, um, even ITP, or uh, yeah, ITP. So if somebody starts to have a, they think they have a, a clot-based disease, so they're having a stroke. Um, they start to put these things in, but it has to be like within the first four hours before um, these things happen. And and these enzymes, the idea with these peptide enzymes is that they're supposed to suppress the mast cell. They're supposed to suppress the brain on fire. They're supposed to be antimicrobial. So I just want to throw that out there. If you're really, really struggling, you've done all these other therapies, that there are other things out there. And the idea with these, that you're starting to make energy and that you're helping reduce the reactive oxygen species um, that that goes along. So that's what the research with um, peptides is out there. Um, they've been around for a while they've, in quite a few countries. It's not just the United States that, that goes with it. Okay, so the next section that I want to talk about is um, bioregulatory medication. Um, I mean, you want to look at blood urea nitrogen because it, often in long-hauler syndrome, the kidneys are suboptimal. We have to look at reactive um, markers such as C-reactive protein, ideally high-sensitive C-reactive protein, homocysteine levels, because they're inflammation, ferritin is inflammation, insulin is inflammation, white blood cell count, especially the neutrophil count, is inflammation. And then you have to look at like the size of the, the red blood cells, are um, are they being methylated? Is there anything that's going along with that? Maybe there's a B12 folic issue. Uh, in the nervous system, you have to look at heart rate variability. It uh, I'll tells you what side of the nervous system they are. Are they parasympathetic, which is good? Are they sympathetic dominant, which is fight or flight? Uh, so heart variability is very easy to, to check with individuals, you can just have them I mean there's all kinds of devices you can have um, the Omega Pulse Wave is probably the best I've ever seen out there but you can have these handheld things that, that go in there and then a lot of these people do need um, proteolytic enzymes especially from a pancreas uh, standpoint and if they're on the um, sympathetic side not only enzymes that we use and we talked about pep protein peptides but the even though this is more of a natural but what fish oil, I'm just being general here, and the fish oil needs to be stabilized with vitamin E. And maybe they need to, uh, to, turmeric or resveratrol because they block the inflammatory response of what's called NF-kappa-beta. But that's not it. You still need to make sure that you don't have any toxins or environmental issues that are going on with you or being exposed to mold. And most doctors don't tell patients, but this is really a big deal, drink more water. You have to be able to detoxify. You have to have the water to form it out. And then you can have your own l- form of lymphatic massage or lymphatic drainage, and then make sure that your blood sugars are okay. These are things that have to be tested um, in the the blood test, but you can also be testing for inflammatory markers. But you can also be testing for um, mitochondrial impairment. So AGs, AGEs, so advanced glycolytic end products will uh, start to affect um, the conditions that are you know, uh, they will, uh, advance your aging and your ability to heal. So, conventional medicine has done a, a pretty good job when it talks to you want to get somebody out of a fight or flight and looking at these uh, normal pathways. But they're really not looking at what what your brain fog is doing, or your poor sleep, or your poor um, immune system, or, or what triggers really come along. It's just to get you out of a, a sleep. So, or so a lot of people that have come to our office, they are. Uh, in these syndromes and they've been given uh, prednisone or a steroid. And, and maybe they felt better for a few days, but then it's all back. And So we have to go deeper. And this is where long hauler syndrome, it requires us to be deeper. Then chronic illness, what's happening in the body's mechanism, uh, it, it's going through these loop processes and, and the normal inflammation, which should have been turned off for prednisone is not. It's not cleaning up dead cells. It's not cleaning up bacteria. It's not cleaning up viruses. And these switches are off, and then they start to have all these other start uh, symptoms that come along with it. So the long haul connection to um, what's called ME/CFS, encephalitis encephalitis, encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, is, is something that most people have it heard of before. And it really is a disabling and life-altering disease that comes along with it. And we've seen seen this in this chronic fatigue syndrome, but you work out, you get tired. You have brain fog, cognitive impairment, chronic flu-like symptoms. You're just kind of achy all the time. Chronic inflammation, digestive issues, headaches, orthostatic intolerance, meaning when you stand up, you can get dizzy. You have chronic pain, non-provoked pain. Yeah, didn't shit, sorry, and you still hurt. Profound fatigue, non-restorative sleep. I get up, I can't feel better. Sleep disturbances of stiffness. That's the symptoms. There's no current diagnostic consensus of what causes in its me cfs uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, CFA yeah. Um, but these are some of the, the sick symptoms that come along with it, but it's also going into long... COVID, long-haul syndrome, long-haul COVID. And it can be weeks or months or now even years after post-viral syndrome. So I just want to throw that out there that if you have those issues and you go to a doctor, how many medications are they going to give you? Um, A lot to try to help you but you might have this this other thing that, that's coming along with it. But other things that can be persisting going in there could be parasites, mold, dental infections, sinus infections, low-grade infections, heavy metals, hormone imbalances, smoke inhalation, gastrointestinal imbalances, chronic fatigue, chronic stress, immune dysregulation, I get sick all the time, the standard American diet, obesity. These things trigger um, blood sugar dysregulation. So you've got low blood sugar, high blood sugar, you have a tick-borne d- disease, including Lyme, chlamydia, mycoplasms, um, cytomegalovirus, uh, epstein-barr other herpes virus day another round of of covid um they all re-trigger these things as they they go through there so this is where it's it's become um a big deal but what we want to make sure that you don't get into what's called cell danger response or cdr and understanding what that does is the body able to heal itself or is that body attacking itself and so we have to make sure that you have plenty of energy to get there and you have to be able to rebuild and you have to get to a recovery phase so there has to be if you're going to have long COVID, you have to have a doctor that really understands um, this macsf long-haul connection of of all the other things you probably had in your life and all the other triggers that go in there and you have to be willing to put some money into this you're going to have to be tested and you have to be um, willing to let's try this and do this and let's see what's going on and you have to be retested i feel better for how long and then i'm going to be retested and going on so big picture is it doesn't matter where you go in the medical world. It doesn't matter where you go in the natural world. You're going to have to, to pull out your pocket book, and you're going to have to invest in it because this is your health, and it's going to kick your butt for a long time. I'm going to stop there for the medical intervention um, because we, we had to go a little bit longer on that. Uh, I know we have a lot of podcasts you can listen to. I appreciate you listening to ours. If you'd like to learn more about our office, go to chooseneallyof.com. I'm Dr. Alan Treitz. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. this podcast. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible,
1: provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, Nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information And thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.